Hello and welcome to the Baseball Wisconsin Podcast. I am your host, Tim Gotzler. Now, today's episode is the sixth inning of Game 2, where we sit down with Greg Reinhardt, owner of GRB Academy. Now, if you've had any college baseball on recently, you'll see GRB kids everywhere. Um, Greg has expanded, him and his team have expanded um, outside of their Madison location down to the Milwaukee area, where they have uh, their second site, which is uh, based out of Waukesha, Wisconsin. Um, in this episode, Greg goes into his time playing high school baseball in Marinette, his journey to Whitewater, um, some of the fantastic accomplishments at Whitewater, uh, one of them being uh, his junior year where they won the uh, school's first national championship in 2005, and he was also named the National Pitcher of the Year. Um, and then a few months after that, was uh, got his name called and was drafted in the sixth round of the MLB draft by the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Uh, he also goes into you know that 2005 team and what made them so special um, on their journey to a national championship. And then his time in pro ball and the different philosophies that he experienced uh, from organization to organization. And then how he took that experience uh, back to his home state, um, his humble roots starting um, GRB Academy, and then goes into the, the two-site operation that they are today. Greg has been a great friend of the association and very generous with his time and talents. Uh, one last reminder to subscribe and share so others can get um, these episodes. And without further ado, owner of GRB Academy, Greg Reinhardt. Hey, Greg, how you doing today? Good, how are you? Good, man. Hey, thanks for coming on and taking the time out of your busy schedule, uh, which sounded like it got a little crazier today, but that's got to be the life of, uh, of COVID, huh? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's always something when you have a building, so... Absolutely. Well, let's talk some baseball. So um, obviously you're a Wisconsin guy. Give us some background. Where'd you grow up and give us your journey in baseball that led you to where you are today? Sure. Uh, I grew up in Marinette, Wisconsin, uh, over north of Green Bay for, for maybe some people in southern Wisconsin who've never ventured that way. Um, played for John LaCourt, who is a, a, a good friend of mine. Um, he's kind of a, his own little legend up there. Um, and then from there, I uh, was fortunate enough to go play um uh, uh, UW Whitewater under I got one year under under Jim Miller um, and uh, John Volnich was transitioning in um, which was a great experience for me personally so that was a great fit for me in the the time of my life and development time of my life um, and I you know I kind of blossomed when I was there in terms of a lot of late velocity showed up um, physicality and uh, was fortunate enough to you know, get drafted by Tampa Bay my junior year. I made that decision to leave school. Um, I went back and finished my degree, obviously. And then uh, I got traded to Chicago. So that's kind of, you know, my baseball journey um, as a player. So I'd like to go back to that junior year, that draft year. Um, was that the national championship year? It was. It was. So did you have any any second thoughts about going um, or were, you know, after things were shaking up towards the draft, was it a, pretty much a done deal? You know, I, I, th I think I was like, uh, I really loved my college experience and all my, my friends were there and they're still my best friends today. And, and I have a close knit group, but I think if you're drafted in that position, right. I was a six rounder. There was a lot of talks. I took calls on draft day and rounds two and rounds three. And I think when you're in that position um, as a junior, you have to, you know, capitalize, you know, financially on the leverage you have as a junior at that point. So I don't think I necessarily thought like, oh, I'm going to turn this down. 
Um, even though, you know, Bo and I had a conversation about, you know, coming back like everyone does. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to be a pro baseball player since I was four years old. So there was never a ton of questioning, I guess. So, especially if you win the national title, like if you take second place, like maybe you're like, Oh, I really want to win that. Um, but we had won it. I knew I was, you know, come from a pretty, uh, you know, blue collar, normal beginning. And so I had a chance to take care of my college debt and, and have a nice little, some money and a chance to fulfill my dream. So it wasn't that hard of a decision. Like I said, national champ, six rounder. I mean, you'd be a fool not to, right? right. Uh, so back to your time at Whitewater real quick. Like what makes Bo so good? What made the national championship team, you know, the, the, the national champs that you guys were? Sure. It was a, it was a great mix of, of the coaching staff and, and uh, you know, the, the team and the players around us. So, you know, Bo at that time was a younger coach. Um, you know, I always tell him he's getting soft now, but um, we worked really hard and he demanded the fine details, which I think for a lot of us who played there, and I'll talk about the team in a second, but a lot of us who played there, that transitioned into our real life, meaning um, a lot of guys that, that I work alongside with here at GRB or some of my best friends have been really successful in life from that team. And you can go back to, if practice was at six o'clock, like we were all there at five forty-five with our shirts tucked in. Um, I used to get up and read the newspaper before going. So I was awake, like everyone was prepared mentally for the practice in front of you. Um, the fine details, like we were not allowed to miss balls playing catch. Um, you know, we conditioned extremely hard at that time. The game has changed a lot since then, but, um, we were programmed to be very, um, efficient. I would say off the field as best friends, we had a blast, right? Like a lot of baseball teams. Um, so that was on the coaching side, Bo really prepared everyone. And, and he's got a great staff there, right? With Mondo and Dave Perchinski was there and Doug Henry was there. And, you know, it was a great group of people um, who I talked to all of them still. And then you transition to the players. If you looked at that group specifically, the year before we were better, a lot of people thought, um, and I think even my freshman year, people thought that was the team that was going to break through and win the national title. And then my sophomore year, that was the team that was maybe the most talented, right? We had five arms, six arms that were really, really high-end D3 arms and a lot of hitters. Um, but that junior class was special. I would say all of us are very um, self-driven, a little bit more than maybe the classes in front of us. We all kind of had that gambler uh, mentality, and that's kind of a play on Eric Baldwin, who was a right fielder, who was – you know, has won a couple bracelets and, and, you know, been very successful as a professional poker player, but all of us were kind of um, maybe put together a little bit different in how we functioned. And I think that we were also able to mesh, but everyone kind of managed their own stuff as well. So it was a neat group for sure. Well, and just so few people get to win the last game of the season at any level. I mean, I, I just think it's so special to even be a, part of that team, even just watching it on TV, just the raw emotion of that. And I'm sure you have reflections on that all the time. So six round Tampa Bay, um, where do they send you next? Sure. So I was, I actually hosted a draft party in Marinette and it's funny, Bo came up, a bunch of my friends came up and one of my buddies brought a Tampa Bay Jersey for no reason other than I think it was the only Jersey he had. Um, and so then like, there's a bunch of pictures of me in that Jersey 
I think within two days or three days, I had signed a contract with, with Tom Couston was the guy who signed me. Um, I flew down to uh, St. Pete, which is where their spring training was. I was there for three days and then got sent to the New York Penn League, uh, Hudson Valley. Uh, Renegades was my first stop. I started there. I had a pretty good year um, and was was even kind of, you know, a cool situation. First rounder Wade Townsend was there. Second rounder Chris Mason was there. Um I think the biggest name out of that group maybe is Wade Davis was on that staff. He was a 19 year old. I'll never forget the first pitch of pro baseball I ever saw was in Aberdeen. Um, Wade throws the first pitch of the game, 98 miles an hour. He's, he's seven and 19 years old at the time. And I'm like, Holy smokes, I may be in the wrong spot. Um, but he's went on to be really successful, obviously. Uh, Jake McGee was on the team. So played a full or the half season there. Um, the next year played in Battle Creek, Michigan, um, which was a challenging year, and then got traded that next offseason, which was a really, you know, big part of my career was moving to Chicago. So I won't stay too much on your playing career, but there's a lot in there. So you won a national championship in college. Now you go into pro ball. I mean, to, to us who have not been part of any of that, what is it the biggest difference between high-end college baseball and professional baseball? as you were going through the ranks from organization to organization? Sure. Um, I was at a transition time where Tampa Bay was still, hey, all of our pitchers are going to throw 600 innings before they make a major league debut. Um, and I would say it was it was really developmental there. Like they were big on like, hey, you're going to throw a change up every three pitches no matter the count. Like you're not going to have success. That was tough because you're used to wanting to go out and be like, um, hey, I need to I need to not give up any runs. I'm going to go to my best pitch in every situation I need to. And they were like, no, you're going to learn this because you're going to need it later. Um, when I got traded, Chicago was a, a whole different mentality where they were like, uh, we want our best players in the big leagues as quick as possible. They skipped me through levels. They let me go to what pitches I liked. Um and I thought that was great at the time. Looking back, had I stayed in Tampa, they got thin later on. I probably would have had a better shot of getting to the big leagues, um, even though I was pretty close in Chicago. But um, it's it's different. The travel is a lot for anyone who's never done it. I mean, it's not it's not luxurious on airplanes. Um, AAA, you fly, but it's, it's 5 a.m. after getting back to hotel at 1. So um, it's a long grind of a – I hate to use the word grind, but it's a, it's a long year every year. Um, those first few years I'd come home in September and have to go back to school. And I swear I'd go to class and then I just lay on my couch for about a month before I realized I had to start going again. So, but it was enjoyable. I'm not bitter about that. A lot of people get bitter at about the end of their career. I, I have none of that. It was, I'm grateful for every moment of it. So. Well, this is a good transition into what you're doing now. I mean, your professional life and you have, players you know the high school player that comes through your academy through grb and they sometimes have to make that decision do i go to pro ball out of high school do i go to college ball and i'm sure your experience helps play into that yeah so we're fortunate enough that we have athletes that have been in that situation and i think from from a guy who's maybe had a little experience there and then looking at players their makeup and their personalities. I, I bet I could pick a lot of them that would be super successful right away. And a lot who would maybe struggle. Um, we've only had 
uh, you know, one, I think if I've got the top of my head that signed out of high school is Danny Jansen. He's the starting catcher for the Blue Jays. If I told you that I thought Danny was going to be a big leaguer, no doubt, I would be lying. I, I, I was concerned, um, not in a bad way, like everyone can do what they want, but it's, it's just a long path. So I, I like the educational path. Um, my mindset has switched on that though, recently, like, uh, with the risk of injury with arms, like I would tell most arms, if, if you get $600,000, 700, a million, whatever your number is, like you should go because they're, they're not, they're not instilling that 600 innings. Like when you are ready to go to the big leagues, you get to go to the big leagues. So I think everyone has a different path, but and you got to know your family background, your mom, if you get a million dollars, it's really hard for me. Like I have three young boys. Um, and I think if one of them got a million dollars, I'd tell them you, you have to go try. Right. Like, so yeah, it's, I'm in a neat role. Cause I get to see it on the other side. Now I've taken a lot of advice from agents and scouts, um, and financial advisors and all, you know, a lot of it to try and tie in to, to present like a clear, uh, not even clear, maybe some thought processes for kids that get in that spot. So. Well, that's great. I mean, appreciate you opening that up for us. I mean, so kind of walk it back a little bit for us. What were the, the beginnings of, of the Academy? Like, where does it all start? Sure. Um, I mean, I was helping some different groups in college and it was a fun way for me to get out and be around younger kids and stuff. But I think there was a, a moment where I was going to run a fundraiser in Marinette for my high school and um, it was just like a lot, like everyone showed up and I understood, you know, being that Bob Wickman is from that area. Like I went to the Bob Wickman baseball camp and when he was a new professional player and Bob's been a big part of my life with baseball. But then, you know, when I ran my own camp, I understood like people were coming in and it was, it was successful, but I then transitioned down in Southern Wisconsin a couple different ways, but ended up, you know, after getting some of it moving, like Greg Featherston, you know, we ended up in Jefferson's gym and um, started with one session and it was pitching. And then it turned into, you know, one of my best friends is Aaron Gilbo, who was a catcher on that national championship team. And he's just out of college and a job. And I was like, Hey, do you want to come teach catching to like 10 year olds? And then, then we're hanging nets in those gyms and Hey, do you want to teach a hitting class and a catching class? And I'll run two pitching classes. And, it ended up where, you know, someone, a couple teams, you know, wanted to, you know, we took some teams to Florida. Um, people were like, why aren't you doing, why aren't you hosting summer teams with your name? Why aren't you, you know, these kids really like to train. And so it just kind of happened, honestly. Like I always say, it's like a mistake that turned out great. Um, I didn't go to grad school. Um, decided to take out a huge lease on a building and, and maybe my parents are scratching their head at what's going on. Or some people are like, Holy smokes, this could go bad. Um, but I think there was a lot of passion behind it at that time. And, um, we just kept, we just kept growing. Like we kept trying to put on really great things, really great training, put together really good team experiences and be really detail orientated, which was missing in the game of baseball from a travel perspective. Um, we made sure parents knew where they're going what the expectations were, what hotel we had to be in and why we were doing it and why it was going to help, you know, kids at that point. And so it, it grew off of those notions and here we are. So, so yeah, here we are. So you've got two locations. So 
talk to us about your staff, like who at each location, who does what, you know, who specializes, who does your pitching, who does your hitting and, and so forth. Sure. So we've been in like the Madison area since 2000 and uh, December of 2010, we rented our first space. We then built this new building in uh, 2017, January, 2017. Our new building I think is, is, is one of the best things I've ever done is, and I got help doing it, but build something that's, it's beautiful in here. For those who haven't been here, it's, it's awesome. It feels like summer every day other than the, the heat temperature. Um, but there's green grass and there's batting cages, but, uh, over here with that staff, <clears throat> Max Cordio was one of the first guys, um, to really, you know, I was like, Hey, I, this is what I'd like to do. I think my playing career is winding down. Um, and he was like, I'm in, and he's been the most constant part of GRB from the start. Um, so Max and I, in those early days, it was, it was him and I a lot, a lot of late days. And then. We added from there, Jordan Stauber, uh, Max Cordial is a whitewater guy. Um, he went to whitewater. He's also from whitewater high school and he had played travel baseball before people were playing it. After that, you know, Jordan Stauber came along. Um, Jordan's a neat story. He was, he was a hitting coach and he did pitching coaching in college at a lot of different D three places. And then his wife had moved to Madison and got a, a job and they kind of had an agreement that they were going to move to wherever, whoever got the first job that would kind of sustain them as a family. And so he came in and asked, and I played against him. He's from the pier. He went to St. Norbert. Um, first time I, I couldn't hire him. Wasn't, we just couldn't do it as a, as a company and, or as a program. And um, he came back a couple months later. Cause I was like, come back. Like your guy won. I've known you. And so he came back, he hopped in, he was awesome. Um, he then became a cancer survivor. Um, he had a really tough battle with, you know, some, some things that snuck up on him. Um, and so he is actually, uh, in a wheelchair now. And so it's a neat story, not because he's in a wheelchair, because one, he survived against every odd a couple times. And then two, all of the cool stuff that people see the back of the, the baseball Wisconsin booklet, um, or the, you know, our website or advertising on Facebook, like he does all that custom designs it, manages our social media handle. He, he makes a lot of things here happen. So he's the next guy. Um, and then we have Zach Ransom. Uh, he's a Madison Memorial player back in the day, he went to North Dakota. He was the first division one player we ever had. He backed, um, he's, you know, he kind of runs everything here. He makes, uh, he does all of our pitching. Um, he was a great player and got the injury bug, but he's up to date on all the throwing stuff and he's really great. Cooper Stewart, uh, he's at Western Illinois and then was a Clark. Um, I actually found him. I talked to an old scout and I was like, Hey, I need a, a guy who can really teach catching loves baseball. And he's like, I got the perfect guy. I think like four days later, Max and I were up at 6am driving to Dubuque for breakfast and uh, I think Cooper was over here about 10 days later. So um, him and Max manage a lot of the on-field practice and development and training that guys do. And then Hayden Fenner. Uh, Hayden was a player for us. I make fun of him. He's mo the most famous backup. He was Danny Jansen's. He wasn't a backup. We, we, we go one and one here. But um, I always say, like, Jansen's in the big leagues, and Hayden is here teaching people how to hopefully get to the big leagues. Um, he's a former catcher as well. So he's – He's here. Um, and that's our, you know, that's our full, you know, Jordan, Zach, Cooper, Max, Hayden, that's our, all of our full-time staff. 
we do have some cool things where Caleb Bosley is here, who's a draft pick. He's a Hortonville kid who went to lacrosse. Rudy Road is here. Um, he's a Holman lacrosse Aquinas player who's a draft pick. He's teaching this winter. Cade Bennell, Stoughton kid, uh, he played here as well. He's with Atlanta. They're all here teaching every single day, all day. So it's really cool because we have a lot of people come back and during this busy time, they get their work in, they also train. That's our Madison location. Milwaukee is at next level. Um, Brad Arnett, known him since I've been in college. He's got a, obviously he's been as wildly successful with JJ Watt and next level and the Watt brothers and all the NFL guys there and Kelnick trains there. And um, so we're on our third year over there. Um, we have Eric Semelhack, Jake Kolsinski, and Ryan Hollander. Ryan Hollander is an Illinois kid um, who played at Parkside. Jake Kolsinski is a uh, Brookfield Academy. His dad's been a longtime coach there. Um, he does our hitting and catching. Ryan does our hitting. And then Eric Semelhack, an Oak Creek uh, player back in the day, UW-Milwaukee blossomed when he was there. He's a draft pick for the Brewers. So I always say in a, in a confident way between Zach Ransom and Eric Semelhack with the throwing stuff we do, it's, it's really awesome because they're both really good at it. So we've got both sides covered in the state with pitching with two really good guys who are understanding of mechanics and safety and velocity improvement and pitch development. And we have a great staff. I mean, it's, it's really what makes our plays run. So that's awesome. it for now. So. <laughs> um, well, you know, and so our biggest audience is, is high school coaches. And, yep. you know, our association and, you know, we, you are very aware of the limitations the high school program has in regards to conduct. So family yep. comes to a high school coach, you know, at some point, maybe before high school or in a youth program eventually and says, hey, I want to give uh, GRB a shot. Can you tell me about it? Or um, what kind of off services do they offer and, you know, what think how they do, do player development. So how should coaches answer those questions? Coach, I'm oh, sorry. So coaches, if, if players are asking that. Yeah. Parents, a lot of parents are talking. Yeah. About, what does GRB have to offer? Sure. So, you know, I think the, the biggest part of GRB is like, we're big fans of high school baseball, even Legion baseball and, um, and little league. I mean, like, we're all products of it, everyone here. So um, I would say like when players are looking for a travel program and they go to their high school coaches, the, the one thing that I can say that I think separates us and I'm not, I'm not bashing anyone else. I would just say like, we like to work alongside the high school over here in Madison for a long time. I mean, we get, we get players from Sun Prairie. Wanakee has been really successful. Uh, you know, we've, done really well in Kimberly and the Fox Valley and, and Eau Claire and La Crosse. So we have this big pool just in Madison alone of people that have come here and trusted us for the same reasons that I think parents have trusted us. The high school coaches, you know, should feel comfortable recommending that we don't overthrow kids. We understand like they're going to throw X amount in high school. They need to throw X amount in the summer, but it can't cross a line in either one because they need to stay healthy to play. Um, we really try and teach a very, uh, what I would consider um, pro style. I don't want to say pro style right now because that's goofy, but we teach a very normal way of hitting. So like, you're not going to get something that doesn't play with where you're at. Um, we don't have like a one size fits all do it this way or you can't play because every high school coach has their own feel. 
But I think the most important thing when players come here is like, our goal is to make, if you're a younger player, our number one goal of our mission is that you become a good high school baseball player. It's the most important thing that can happen. Um, because we all know like life beyond high school isn't for everyone in terms of baseball. Like everyone's playing career ends a certain time. Um, but everyone, when they're outside playing catch with their kid, when they're six, seven or eight years old or four years old, um, say that cause I have a four year old and we're not having a game of catch yet because he likes other things right now. But when you have that four year old in your yard, you didn't think like, Oh, this kid's going to go be a professional baseball player, or this kid's going to be a college player or a first round pick or go play at this travel program. You probably thought, I hope this kid loves to play. And wouldn't it be cool if one day he played for his varsity program in his hometown with his friends. And I think that's the most important thing that you could teach to a younger kid is to be successful for his high school. So um, we reevaluate when they get here, when they're in high school, if they're good enough, we take a, a very personable uh, one-on-one approach to recruiting with a family. So we answer all the questions. They don't need recruiting services. Um, they can draw on our experience of, you know, somehow we've gotten lucky enough to have 200 and some college players and hundred and some division one players. And we've been involved in every one of those. So we've seen a lot of different scholarship write-ups, academic write-ups, all that stuff. So I think we provide a really good service for those looking to go on and looking for a place after high school winter training to be, um, to be at. So I think that's the most important thing. Like it's, it's very honest here. Some people love it. Some people hate it, but um, in the huge world of travel baseball, a lot of people have gotten a bad name because you can BS your way to having, um, to having a lot of people pay you money when you don't have the experience or their kid doesn't have the talent. Um, We'll tell people right to their face. Hey, like you're here because you're gonna be a good high school baseball player, but your skill sets don't add up to you being a division one player. Your skill sets don't have to add up to you being a college player. Like if you have those honest conversations and they're not great for parents to hear, like at least they know. That's what I would have. That's what I want. So. Oh, that's great. And that's great. So, um, you know, it's funny because, you know, incoming freshman parent will come to a high school coach, come to me and say, hey, you know, tell me about the, what does it all look like? Cause they come from a whole different world. And I kind of give them the 12 month calendar of here's the high school season, everything else you could be at another place and multiple sports and everything else. So, um, you talked, you mentioned about throwing and obviously you have a pitching background. So it's early February, 2021, your kids are starting to build up. Um, what does a typical throwing off season look like? Uh, you know, pitch progressions when you, when you hand guys off to the high school programs in the spring, what are the goals? Sure. Um, I'm a huge shutdown guy first off. So when they finish that season, let's say in, let's say 2020 was normal, which I think we all wish it was, but let's say you played a high school season and you threw 35 innings and you, you came and you played your summer season and you threw 35 innings and then you threw your fall season and you threw 20 innings. So you got 80, 90 innings, which is a lot of innings. My thing is a lot of people are like, I have to get on the showcase circuit. I have to do this. The first thing we say is like, you need to have eight to 10 weeks of being shut down without throwing because um, it's healthy. And then from there, like we try to walk people back into throwing. So we were throwing progression. We follow um, in the world of driveline and a lot of throwing programs. We do some of that. We have tapered it to our style. So um, 
I'm, I'm more about health and safety than some guy like getting hurt for sure. It's uh, so we try to, you know, like we usually don't start throwing till after the first of the year or a little bit before the first of the year. And those are light games of catch. Um, you know, I, I made a comment on social media the other day that I saw some different places playing live baseball and on, on MLK day that weekend. And I thought we're, we're debating on if we're ready to like throw a flat ground after our game of catch. So we're slow in our progression. We like to back up where we want kids to have, have uh, had a bunch of bullpens and we do a couple live at bats um, right before the, the prep baseball report event at our place, which is normally the, the weekend before contact days start for high school baseball. So that March 12th weekend, we back our full throwing program up to count into that spot. So um, in terms of like what we do, I mean, I think every piece of it is like, there's like, there's gotta be a change up. There's gotta be breaking ball development. Everyone loves velocity development. And yeah, velocity matters a, a lot in a lot of places. Um, but if all that is tied into a consistent throwing program with shoulder strengthening and safety, like I think it's our kids that come and do our program and show up, uh, should be able to walk into high school and be very confident that they can throw hard in that first week pretty safely and be effective. So are there any, um, on the, on the player development side and on the training side, is there any, um, technology you guys use on the pitching side? you know, is there any, what else do you utilize there? Sure. Sure. So we have a rap soto. Um, if I'm being honest, like the hitting rap soto and the pitching rap soto, we bought those, like I bought the first rap soto because Tyler Chadwick and George Clawson were throwing 97 miles an hour. And so we were going to, we did some videos because of the COVID shutdown um, because the draft was still going to happen. And they were, you know, people were talking about those guys being in round two or round three in a normal year. And so we just posted a lot of, you know, video with real data that no one could dispute. All right. We didn't, we didn't tune up a radar gun here. Look at the axis on the break, look at the arm slot, all that. So we use that, but not like in an everyday training tool. Um, I think some things get lost in technology as much as I love some of the stuff, cause you can see the numbers, you can see what it all means. Um, if you're putting a rap soda on a 13 year old kid and he's consistently hitting a baseball, he's probably frustrated because it's going to show him that he's really hitting the ball 74 miles an hour. And he sees everyone on social media hitting the ball hundred miles an hour. So we probably focus more on what the swing looks like. And from a pitching standpoint, um, repeatability, is probably more important than, than maybe what those numbers show. So we don't incorporate a ton of technology into the training side of it. Um, but we do use it certainly on occasion. I mean, we have a lot of radar guns and all that stuff, but it's not the highlight of, of our training by any means. Um, staying on the pitching side, like mechanically, you know, you talked, you mentioned like, are there some absolutes that you, you know, that you guys have as a staff, like what are you looking for mechanically? You know, is there a couple things that, you're trying to get kids to, to build a good foundation. Sure. Sure. It'd be I hard to do over a, over a podcast, but um, yeah. if you can can't, can't get up and demonstrate it. Uh, a couple of things. One, I think almost all of the hard throwers or the healthy throwers that you see now, um, they do keep their back heel down against the rubber and they, they stay on that for longer than someone who flips over and gets extended down the mound. So um 
think forever I've heard people be like, you need to stay over your back leg. I think there's a lot of proof now that staying over your back leg by staying on that heel and not having your knee go towards home super fast is, is a big deal. We try to do that. I think the most important part of along with that on the lower half would be um, when that front foot plants, it stays there and that front leg blocks. And I, you know, people that maybe played in the early nineties think of a front leg block from hitting and think that maybe is different than what today looks like. But um, from a pitching standpoint, like that knee needs to go from bent to straight. You need to be able to stand up on that leg and not fall through it, not fall down the mound. I think for us, <clears throat> that back leg then can wrap around. Um, but if it wraps around and falls down the mound, I think there's a hard chance for people to hit a consistent release point. I think you then become a sprayer because your body is moving down the mound and your hand is not actually throwing the ball. You're just falling through it. Um, we always say like, don't be a dog. Don't chase it down the mound, like throw your pitch, stay on that leg. Um, I think those are some of the bigger parts on the lower half on the upper half. I mean, just clean arm actions and trying to clean up arm actions is important. You know, the front side's forever been a disputed thing for people. What do you do with that glove? Does it pull hard? Does it tuck your hip? Does it get out of the way? Like, as long as it's not creating a huge problem and it's allowing your hand to get out front and get to release and be consistent, I think mechanics can look a lot of different ways. But certainly that front leg is important and that back heel is important um, for us. About the, the throwing hand, right? So, um, is do you want it up at a certain point? I um, mean, a lot of dispute about you know the old reach to the reach to the shortstop and you know the inverted W. Kind of where are you guys at on that on the on the throwing on the throwing side? Well, I think a, a clean arm action can doesn't need to be super long anymore. It also can be too short. I think for us, we just look for it to look natural. Um, the inverted W. I think that's proven that. <clears throat> Guys can throw really hard with that, but they also can get hurt really easy or wear down easy with that. So uh, we let it happen, meaning like we're not out there like taking guys and completely flipping their actions. We're looking for it to look the cleanest. And by that, I mean the easiest way for them to throw. Um, so it doesn't, you don't want it to look labored because if it's labored, it probably is labored um, in the muscle standpoint. So people are probably going to, fatigue and when there's fatigue there's injury that follows it normally so um just a clean arm clean arm action do i think it needs to face the shortstop it usually does for a righty it doesn't need to face second base that would be too extended back right if, if someone is on a mound and their hands getting all the way to second base i'm guessing they're going to hook or get behind their back hip and then that ball is never going to get on top or, or elevated like it needs to so yeah we're simple. Like there's not like any absolute I would say, but certainly like when you see someone throw, right, you can almost pinpoint that a lot of those things get just like hitting, like people get in the same position when they're good usually. So. I appreciate that. That's I'm more of a, I'm just a pitching junkie as well. I'm always just looking for what's out there and you know, what the, what the best are teaching. So staying on the tech side, is there any other pieces of tech you guys use? I know you mentioned a rap soto for pitching and, and hitting as well. How do you use it on the hitting side? Um, I think on the hitting side for more advanced players, um, I mean, you're, you're looking at consistency and ball strike and maybe what that spin looks like off the bat. Um, we don't have any of the high tech cameras yet. We've discussed them. It just, when you're training a lot of people, um, I think it's hard because some of that technology is slow. So if you're going to throw around a BP and you want to have a rap soto on there, 
um, you're going to wait for four seconds between each pitch. Like it's a pretty long practice day. Um, <laughs> less reps. I think reps are more important to us right now than um, maybe what the technology says, but for pitching, you know, or for hitting. Yeah. I mean like what the, what the velo off there is, what the, we're certainly like launch angle to me. And this is like the most dis disputed thing in world history right now. Launch angle is just a measurement. I, I don't think we try and teach a swing that creates launch angle. I don't, I think that's wrong with kids. Um, I was a teammate or I was in Chicago when Donaldson was there, right. He's like the poster boy. But like he didn't swing uphill in the minor leagues. He got there when he left, um, I believe Auburn, right. Like he got there and like he had a flat swing. He just realized he could create launch angle because he was that talented kids aren't that talented or strong enough to do it in my opinion. So we see the launch angle. I don't think we necessarily uh, teach off of it. So when you obviously, it sounds like you're not chasing it, right? You're not changing the saying launch angle off the rap soto data. Um, what about off the radar gun? Do you guys use the radar gun on the hitting side? Uh, not really. Like certainly like we'll, we'll put it up if we're making a recruiting video so people can see what their ball strike is consistently or what they're hitting balls at. But, not a ton. Not, I mean, radar guns have limited, in my opinion, with with hitting, but certainly you can you can measure it. You can see where they're coming off at, and I mean, it's sexy to hit balls really hard, um, which maybe goes back to a lot of hitting style arguments. Is like if you just really hit the ball hard a lot, like good things usually happen. So, I mean, that's a great way to measure it. So, yeah. um, anything with your catchers on the player development side? I mean, you've had some a run of some pretty impressive catchers. Obviously you mentioned Danny before, but plenty of other ones in that group. Yeah, we've, I mean, it's been kind of our, our spot, like obviously pitching and catching is a premium, but we've been fortunate to have a lot of good ones in a row. Um, I mean, we just work at being great receivers and, and quick transfers and, you know, Cooper handles all of that. Right. Like I, I don't even, we'd stay out of his way, like him and Hayden and now with Hayden here, like the both of them, it's great. Cause if one of them has a weekend off the other one, they can, they can piggyback off each other. And I'm talking just in Madison, the same thing's happening in Milwaukee. Um, but, you know, I think just being sound catchers, like the role of the catcher is evolving at the major league level, but from a team aspect and going to college to be a good player, like the same things matter. Like, can you block, can you throw Does do pitchers like to throw to you? I think our guys work on a lot of receiving, a lot of blocking, um, you know, and handling that. Cooper's big on handling a staff. He talks about, you want to be a great catcher? Like, your pitcher better like you. And that's that's the truth, being a former pitcher. Uh, catchers generally ruin it for us. So, most of our – all of our bad outings can just be relayed back to the catcher generally. So, leads to a great discussion. You talk about, you know, biggest debates in world history. I got to imagine one of them is pitch calling. And, uh, you know, where are you guys at on the pitch calling uh, front? You know, what would you recommend for high schools? You know, where, where do you go from there? We don't call pitches. And that is something that I have. Um, like maybe in a key situation where something blatant, obvious to us, it's a tight game, we may send one in. But for the most part, we've been adamant on catchers learning to call their own game. That may not be necessary at, at every high school or many colleges, but in pro baseball, it is. Um, and I, I think, so we, we don't, but we do understand that if you make a really great pitch, there's a reason for a double up and you got to win off your fastball. Um, 
and you try to get through the order once without showing anything but a fastball if you can. And then, you know, second time through, you start to mix as a pitcher. And, you know, we give a lot of it to our pitcher. Like, this is your game. If he puts something down you don't like, you shake, um, which is a very pro-style thought process on, on that. Do I think high schools should call pitches? Sure, it's up to everyone. Um, you know, I think the – and the hard part for me as a former pitcher is you maybe have feel of what you see with your eyes. Like I could always see how a guy swung from what it looked like to me. And I was like, Oh, he's not hitting that pitch. Like there's no, like I could tell. Um, and then you maybe, you maybe don't get that same angle from, from the dugout um, or, or maybe your style, you know? So I think that's the hard part is we, we let the catcher and pitcher work together and, we just do explaining when they come off the field. Like if there's a bad call that gets sent from the catcher and the pitcher agrees to it and the guy hits the double, you're like, Hey, why would, why would you do that? Why don't, why don't we talk about why was that pitch put into play right there? Because that's not a good situation for that. They need a sack fly. You know, why would you throw a breaking ball that has a bubble in it? That's very easy to hit a sack fly or, Hey, that guy has, has, not been around on a pitch all day. Like, why are we giving him something softer that's middle or in on him where he's going to hit it fair, actually? Why wouldn't we stay with something that was consistently beating him? So we have those talks. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, the more college baseball, you know, that we have available to watch on TV or, you know, I feel like pitch calling is is the absolute. Everybody's on a wristband. I mean, there's even colleges that are, have pitchers on wristbands now. Um, and then at pro ball, it doesn't seem like that's the, that's, that's the path. So what do you think the biggest disconnect is there? College coaches are making a lot of money and they don't want to trust a 21 year old with his family's job security and a $600,000 salary, which I mean, I'm against, but I would get <laughs> yelled at for saying that. Um, but I, I mean, I, I get it. Like they maybe think that they can, they can manipulate the situation better and it'll keep their job safer. And maybe they do, but in, but when you get to pro baseball, like it's your career as a pitcher and you, you make that decision on what you're going to throw. And that's why when we teach our catchers, we go back to it. Some of my best catchers were in tune with me and understood who I was based on the calls that I maybe made or the shakes that I made throughout the years with them. Um, and we worked in great sequence and I was a way better pitcher when I threw to those guys. And so I think that's where pro baseball's at. I think, I had a call with Danny Jansen a few weeks ago and we caught up and the conversation was, you know, we, we talked about handling your staff during that, during that phone call. Like, Hey, even when you struggle hitting, like if you handle your staff, like you're going to stick around because when pitchers love you, coaches take notice in pro baseball. So do I think it's different in college? Absolutely. Those, I mean, there's guys in big conferences using wristbands and doing things that I would, uh, kick and scream against um they're getting paid a million dollars a year to coach college baseball all right well let's bring it back to high school so you get high school kids pouring in from all different communities um having a great experience two things like, where do you see the biggest deficiency in in the the adolescent kid today you know when, when you have them all winter and have them all summer what are you seeing in terms of their play or um Either skill development or, you know, physicality, yeah. um, IQ, you know, where does, it, where does that take you? I certainly do. Th 
this is a, a big cheering point. I think the game is maybe maybe getting um, less people know how to play. That's like a that's a non-disputable fact from a lot of people. You know, most of our practices are revolved around reading dirt balls here, dirt ball reads, and teaching younger kids how to play because like they don't play outside. And so I think the biggest deficiency is in the game. I also, you know, I think it's, it's becoming uh, rarer to have a true competitor versus someone who's worried about maybe what he gets to post on Twitter um, or his commitment and all that, like a kid who actually wants to, who actually is like, I'm here because I want to, you know, beat every single team we play. Um, And it's a quick separator. Like when you get those kids, like, it's really easy to see they're going to be successful in college or pro baseball because they don't worry about the other stuff. Those are the two like mental things that I think are interesting is baseball is not watched a lot by kids. I could walk out there right now for all the people here and ask someone who so-and-so is, and they would stare at me blankly, Um, which is sad, but that's, you know, baseball pro baseball has created that on its own kind of Um, deficiencies. I mean, people are throwing harder. So like off speed is certainly always something like when you have a kid with a great breaking ball that he can throw at a higher speed, like he's automatically recruitable because so many people worry about the other side of development. They worry about the pitching side. Um, but I wouldn't say like a general deficiency I, the people who have swing and missing them always have swing and missing them. The people who are great ball strikers eventually become the best power hitters because they consistently hit the ball harder on the barrel and they get bigger and stronger when they hit 16. So I don't think there's like a general deficiency we can all point out other than kids don't play the game the same way um, and maybe understand it. So. I appreciate that. That's a lot of a theme that's coming through um, the lack of competitiveness or the, you know, the IQ and knowing what to do and right. The old days of stick ball or strikeout and wiffle ball. Um, and as much as we want to manufacture that sometimes, I don't know if that's possible in today's environment. Um, you know, I think, can I, can I add a point to that? Because I think I'd love to hear it. So I'm, I'm always of the opinion that like high school and travel need to work together and same with every baseball thing to create this better game. And I think sometimes you know, people are like, well, there's, there's not as much competitiveness because they play so many baseball games and travel baseball, which a lot of people do play a lot. Or, um, you know, the younger travel levels aren't teaching people how to play versus what Little League maybe was. I say no to every one of those pieces. Or sometimes travel people point the finger at high school coaches and say, well, they're not doing this. Well, I actually think it all just draws down to the fact that kids aren't outside you know, at Garfield Elementary, like when I was in in the 90s playing tennis ball with my friends, like, I don't know the last kid I saw play wall ball. Like I just, it's a disappearing thing from today's society. Um, and, and part of that is, can be blamed on travel because people are running to 25 different practices because everyone has to play travel basketball, travel baseball. I'm going to specialize this. They don't get to go outside and play. I think that's what it comes down to. So that's my personal that. thing. Some people don't yeah. feel the same way, but well, I think we're we're of you know similar age, and uh, you know it's funny you talk about that elementary football ball or strikeout, and you know just just that time, and you know I think what it, what it did to to me as a, as a player, and, and how I see things now as a parent as well. Uh, so, 
baseball in Wisconsin is important to you. The state of Wisconsin means a lot to you and, and, and your organization and you personally, you're a great friend of the association. When I talk about and bring up baseball across the state of Wisconsin, the WBCA, like what comes to mind? Um, well, I think there's a, you know, I, I've been to all the conventions and know a lot of people and, and have great conversations. And so I think the game is getting better as a whole. Um, I think there's a battle of, you know, I, I wish we, the WBCA could influence the WIA to open up to more games. I think we're going to get less games this year. I think there's a lot of things with COVID that have been challenging, but in my opinion, baseball is a low risk sport. Like we need, we need high school baseball to play and play a lot of baseball. Um, so, I mean, I think that is, we could get more high school baseball games. It'd be better for everyone. In my personal opinion, if, if this, the WBCA and WIA would play during a certain time period, and then there could be a, if we could line up and the WIA would be like, Oh, we understand that travel baseball is important from the recruiting aspect. Cause it is, there's no denying it. <clears throat> when there's overlaps, it presents issues because I, I, I talk to kids all the time that are like, well, why would I play high school? I'm going to miss the first two events, which are the best two events of the summer, right? Like hitters and, and GRB, the only two programs I get to go to the MPL in Indianapolis out of the state of Wisconsin, there will be 250 division one schools there. Right. If you play good and you are a good player, you are going to get a ton of offers that weekend. And that's the that's the day after sectionals or the yeah, the day after sectionals. So like it, it you know, if, if timing could work better, it would be better in my opinion. But I think WI WBCA and and uh you know, it's a great group of guys that, that are trying to advance the game. And that's that's always been our opinion that that we're trying to do the same. So um it's interesting baseball in the, in the state of Wisconsin, there's so many unique areas where the game is it's played different. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy to me, but obviously that Southeast corner is super strong. I love the Fox Valley. Um, we're in Madison. Um, they've had a lot of success, you know, with some of the growth of the suburbs around the city of Madison. And, and then you can always go up into Northwest Wisconsin and find, uh, you know, a couple guys that throw 94 miles an hour in our six, five, like, it's just fascinating. You know, there may not be the depth up in Northwest Wisconsin, but there's always some great arms and players that come out of there. So. Yeah, that's, that, that's outstanding. Um, you mentioned the relationship between the WIA and the WBCA. How about between travel coaches and high school coaches? Like how, how do you see that relationship working best together? Sure. I, I think it takes communication. Um, we, we've never had a problem with it. And, and some of the coaches who have had a ton of success in Wisconsin, I have a beer with and I get along with, you know, and, and people I call my friends. Um, I think when there's problems, it's when travel coaches, you know, maybe get argumentative or just kind of see it in only their way. Like I certainly can put myself in the shoes of high school coaches and um, we have a lot of, good partners at GRB that are high school coaches that give us their input. So I think if everyone could step back high school coaches as well, same as, as travel coaches and understand the other person's perspective and have conversation. I think that the, the hardest thing for me in baseball is all of us at one point played. Most of us were super competitive people and it takes a special, a lot of baseball people are hard headed because that's what it took to be really good. That's the truth. Right. And, um, 
So when you put 10 baseball guys in the room, it usually ends up in an argument. And so like, that's always what I have thought the disconnect is, is like, um, like, you know, there needs to be an understanding, like WBCA coaches can't immediately say like travel coaches are only doing this for the money because like, if people saw the schedules and the amount of work and the, the amount of hours cleaning facilities on the road away from your family and putting in time, like you'd be like, well, you're really committed to the game of baseball. Yeah. It costs money to play here, but I think it has advanced the game in the state. We could point at draft picks and say like, just the availability of indoor baseball has allowed some position players to be first rounders in Wisconsin. That never happens in the past. Um, but at the same manner, travel coaches can't be like, well, let's can high school baseball. You can learn everything you need to learn here because there's a, a love affair with the game of baseball that deals with playing with your friends and trying to win that state championship and all those great things. So I think it's just going to take a lot of conversation. I think it can happen. It's been great for us here, right? I have no complaints. Um, and, and every time I've went to a coach in the big eight and, and, you know, explained my thought process on something, they, they didn't argue, they listened. And when they told me why they liked it or didn't like it, we listened. So uh, it has not been, not been bad but in some areas it's not great I can understand that so well yeah I mean at the end of the day right it's it's for the kids right I mean it's 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 that 17 year old that 16 year old it's their experience and you know they are trying to please their high school they're trying to please the travel coach and you know there's a lot of people pulling them in different directions and you know to have the adults like you said bickering about every little thing you know what kind of negative negatives that goes in that kid's ear um yeah. All right. Last thing I got for you. All right. What else you got for us? Like what else, what are you working on now on the baseball side? What's, what's in your baseball itch? Obviously you're doing so much more than baseball, you know, um, with the guy at the top, but like on the baseball side, what's scratching an itch for you on player development or whatever else it may be. Um, I just think, <clears throat> I think the more we get facilities here and I'm not saying indoor, I'm saying not outdoor. Um, the more those are open to encourage the game to happen one of my big things is like somehow getting fields because Wisconsin is handicapped in the manner that um, we're always going somewhere, right? Like we're going to Indianapolis, Nashville, Atlanta, Kansas city, St. Louis, like, and at this point in time, when I go to Kansas city or I go to Indianapolis, I can almost bet that if we play the way we supposed that we're supposed to and hitters plays the way that they're supposed to, um, we're going to play each other in the final four and that's bringing in 10 states. Like baseball is really, really strong here. Um, and part of it is like, there's some consolidation where, you know, traditionally the best players are ending up in some of those spots. And, um, but then maybe people should come here and play. So if we have the facilities, um, it would, it would certainly benefit people here. And I think colleges will come here. Pro scouts obviously will come here. They, they've proven it. So I think Wisconsin, um, I've always said this, people are like, why is Wisconsin getting good at baseball? And I say, well, we've always had great bodies that can play football, right? Like Wisconsin has been a football state and as a basketball state, we've got these huge bodies um, that are athletic people. Um, and, and when you teach them how to play baseball and they get a chance to do it for more than four months a year, and they have a chance to field for eight months a year, they look pretty special like Gavin Lux, or if they get to hit 10 months a year, 
they look like players who traditionally we've thought of as being from Florida, Texas, Louisiana, California. Um, but they look better, right? Because they're physical. They're more physical than people from other parts of uh, the country. So you're going to see a lot of great bodies coming from here. I, I think the more we get fields, the more access everyone has to fields, the more the WBCA, WIA, and travel work together and present more playing opportunities. It's only going to benefit the game. I think what goes along with that is then you have to talk about arm safety because if we're going to play more, we can't turn into the state of Florida, which in my opinion doesn't produce a ton of great pitchers because they've all been throwing so much their whole lives. So I think those are, there's nothing crazy happening here other than just continuing to try and get better. So. All right. So last thing, last thing is about like for the high school coach, even or the high school player you know, who listens to this parent who listens to this, like, recruiting process, you know, maybe a lot of high school coaches don't have a lot of experience for a variety of reasons. How would you advise them on club baseball, travel baseball, and the recruiting process? Sure. I would say if you're playing at a program that hasn't consistently put out college players, you're going to have to break the mold and be that person. That's really hard to do because the traveling circuit is kind of a closed circuit, meaning there's events where only certain teams can go. I always relate to the PGA tour. If we all want to go watch the masters, that's where all the media is. The best players are there. Everyone's there. They're still playing golf on the Latin American tour and the England tour and a couple different tours at that same weekend. Um, but recruiting is, is a lot easier when your platform is, is really strong. I'm very fortunate. Our program gets to be a part of that. I would say for parents, like the recruiting process itself, you have to be seen. Don't trust all the emails, the camp invites. Someone's got to see you. You have to have someone that has credibility pushing your name and telling colleges the truth about you. So you have to be connected. And then like, it's like dating. Like don't chase it so much that everyone's turned off by you. Like some kids email colleges 150 times a week. That's going to get old, much like dating. Like if I would have called my wife a hundred times the first week, like you probably get in trouble and are called a stalker. Um, so you need to play it cool. Like at some point people need to realize they're recruiting you. And I understand people have dreams. They love it. They want to, they want it to happen. Um, but you also have to, you know, kind of have some process to it. So I've done a bunch of YouTube videos on the recruiting process in terms of money and a lot of different things that I think a lot of people have found value in. Most of them were done in my basement in March when I was bored and I wasn't allowed to come to work. Um, so that just means there's like varying shades of beards on if I wanted to wake up and shave or not. But um, I think the actual process, the dollars and cents, the closing of the verbal the national letters of intense, that's a foreign language to parents. And that's a foreign language to a lot of coaches. I would say the only reason I'm versed in it, being a division three guy who didn't go through that process myself is I've got to do it with a hundred people. And so the first few, the first few felt foreign and now the process is very known. And so that's, that's what made, makes it, I think, beneficial for our players here. As I understand if you get one offer, you normally get four because hardest offer to get is offer one. Um, and so the process has gotten easier and our players reap the benefits because we do add all those pieces in. That's not saying you have to play here. There's some other spots that do it. Um, but if you're a really great player and you pick a really random place and you're really, really good, 
it's really tough. And there it is. Huge thank you goes out to Greg for carving time out of his busy schedule to sit down with us today. Um, I really enjoyed um, the part about just recruiting and the college process. Um, such a foreign concept, like he said, to many, to most families and even to most high school coaches. Because you know, even when some of us were going through, the process was very different. So, uh, huge thank you to all he does for the state of Wisconsin, Greg, along with many others, including high school coaches, travel coaches, instructors, facility owners. Um, we're, we're just trying to give the best experience to our kids. You know, and now we're starting to see such a high return on that investment in regards to caliber of play. I mean, you turn on college baseball, you're seeing kids at the Division three, two, one level, uh, NEI, JUCO level, uh, minor leagues, uh, up to the big league clubs. So just really thankful to have Greg in our state um, and all he does for our game. We hope that you tune in next week as uh, we're making a, a call to the north, uh, way up north. We're bringing in a lefty to, to close this game down. So one more, more reminder to subscribe and share, and uh, have a great rest of your day.